The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Biscuit CLT Podcast. It's Matt Olin. And Tim Miner. And we are your co-hosts. And I don't know about you, Tim, but I am buzzing with electricity right now because we literally just wrapped the 50th Creative Mornings Charlotte event here at Blackhawk Hardware. I mean, we are broadcasting, not, not live, but via tape, uh, <laughs> from, from the basement of Blackhawk Hardware. Uh, they are, have cleared out their They're storeroom. Cur- currently clearing out. Okay, store, well, and you, you might hear that, um, but they are converting it into retail space, and so this is the one and only time it's ever going to be used for an event like this. And it seemed fitting to have such an uh, amazing occasion, our 50th event in this space that will be used one time only for an event like this, to have the speaker that we had today. Yeah, Joni Deutsch from By the, the way, WFAE. I just want to break in, and this is my one quip of the minute. Uh, that we'll you and I are more broadcasty than we've ever been before. We're like, hey, we're broadcasting from Black Hog Hardware. It's true, but you know, we're sitting here with two professional podcasters, and we need to up our game. I, I'm already feeling the the judgment, but it's okay. <laughs> it's silent. So judgment. our speaker on the theme of silence was Joni Deutsch from WFAE. For those of you who don't know, Joni Deutsch is the manager of on-demand content and audience engagement at WFAE. She's also involved in all their podcasts from FAQ City to Southbound to She Says, and of course she hosts Amplifier, which has won a bunch of awards. I mean, the work you're doing in Charlotte, Joni, is so vital. It's also just so exciting to see you, a relative newcomer to Charlotte, dive in and take ownership of your new home, your new home city. That, to me, is so inspiring. I love it. And it's one of the many reasons we asked you to come speak with us today. Well, you know, the beautiful thing about podcasting is they can't see me tear up. They can't see you, your they eyes sweating. Hear it. No, that's, um, in all honesty, that's, that's, that's very too kind, very much too kind to, for you all to say. Yes. Well, Thank you. I, you know, I think you, this has been a long time coming. Like we, we met for a cup of coffee. I don't even know what the circumstances were where we all got in each other's radar, but Matt and I came out of that, like, what we what are we going to do with her it wasn't it wasn't if or possibly it was like she's someone we want to work with all the time and we we could just see the impact that you were going to have i mean matt brought up the notion that you're a relatively new charlatan you're a charlatan period i mean the measure of whether you're you're a charlatan or not in our eyes is how much you get involved and from day one you dove in both feet up to your neck you know, just lifting up the, the community, whether it's the music community or some of these stories that need to be told. You've done so much in such a, such a short period of time. I mean, you're, this sounds cheesy, but to me, you're a gift to Charlotte. And so putting you up there for our 50th event was, the, the treat was on our end. It was fantastic. All the compliments are going to my head. And if you know me, you see a photo of me, you know my hair is already big enough because my <laughs> hair is so huge. Best hair in radio. Best hair in radio. <laughs> I have the hair for radio. Oh, hair for radio. Uh, no, I, um, well, you know, I, I appreciate how um, welcoming Charlotte has been. I, I've only been here for two years now. And uh, there's just a lot of uh, creative undercurrents going on. And to be able to tap into it in some small ways is. Uh, it's, it's part of why I love my job so much. And mm. you guys are obviously, you guys and Creative Mornings and The Biscuit are all a part of that. Well, it was a, it was a very, very um, meaningful moment for us this morning being our 50th event. Unbelievable that we've been doing this for 
for 50 months now. Um, we haven't been found out yet. Yeah, they exactly. And uh, so as those of you who have attended Creative Mornings know, you know, we get to see this 15, 20-minute talk by the speaker, and we're normally left with just wanting to, to go even deeper, learn even more, get to know our speakers even more. And of course, today was no exception. You, you were very vulnerable and transparent, and your sharing of your personal story, I think, spoke to a lot of people. And so that's why I, we love sitting down with our speaker, especially in the afterglow of the event, immediately after the event, and just keep that conversation going and go a little deeper. So thanks for sitting down with us, Joni. Yeah. And happy, to, happy to be on the other side of the microphone for once. Exactly, <laughs> right? Kick back, enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, let's take a quick detour into a maybe a lightning round of questions Absolutely. for Joni, right? All right, so, so we're, you know, the adrenaline is probably settling down a little bit. Sure. It's been 45 minutes. So I'm to, crashing hard over to here. Get your, to get your gray matter massaged and ready for this conversation, we're going to do a quick quiz on West Virginia cryptids. I'm so excited. <laughs> quick I was pro not, quiz. I, did, I, I, did, I did not know what quiz this was going to be, but I'm excited. Okay. Oh, yes. I, I think this is like in your way. Okay. 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 I was trying to say a terrible joke. You're about cryptids? No, about West I was going to say quick, quick pro quiz. <laughs> that was terrible. Get out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Get out. I'm the new co-host now. Yes, no. Thank you, you know Thank me God for editing. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Andy Go. I'm replacing Matt Owen on the microphone. <laughs> All right, we've already classed Thanks, up Matt. the joint. Here we go. All right, Joni, you ready to go? Oh, I'm born I, I, this is, ready. This is, you've been spending a lifetime preparing for this quiz. Mm -hmm. All right, number one, what's the name of a creature, possibly an alien, described as having a head that resembled the ace of spades? Point Pleasant, right? Point Pleasant Monster? Mm, no. No? You're getting close. You're getting, just, oh. I, I got, I got Okay, options. I'm sorry. I didn't no, mean that. I'm so excited. She, I was so was excited. excited. I know, this is good. I want to be that person you see on TV that gets like all the questions oh, oh, oh. right without Before even like... Before the questions yeah, yes, even okay, finish being answered. In editing, why don't you go ahead and rephrase <laughs> it, and that way I'm not an idiot. Right. <laughs> You've got... Now, I, I didn't even say. Thank you. I'll take this time. All of these questions are about legendary monsters that, that hail from West Virginia. So, this is one described as having a head that resembled the Ace of Spades, a skirt light lower body that make it look makes it look like it glided, and it was also accompanied by a nauseating pungent mist. Was it A, the Grafton monster, B, the Flatwoods monster, or C, one of the Kardashians? <laughs> That's the Grafton monster. It's the Flatwoods. Shut up! Oh. I was not born ready for this. I was born in West Virginia, but not okay. Here, I'll do it again. All right, I'll do it. Shh, shh. Podcasting. No one will ever know. Uh, <laughs> it also was accompanied by a nauseating pungent mist. A, Grafton Monster, B, Flatwoods Monster, or C, one of the Kardashians? C, I'm kidding. B, it's B. I know this one. <laughs> hey, C, you nailed that. The Flatwoods Monster, <laughs> one of my personal faves. Okay. This monster is said to have been discovered in a West Virginia cave. It's a fictional creature who made numerous uh, appearances in the supermarket tabloid, the Weekly World News, and got a musical. Is it A, Bat Boy, B, El Chupacabra, or C, Mr. President? Hey <laughs> A. Yes. It is A, Bat Boy. Good job. All right. Here we go. I know you got this one. Terrorizing a small town, uh, and especially teens hanging out in an old industrial area in that town in 1967, this dark, winged creature uh, appeared until the Silver Bridge disaster. It's Mothman. It is the Mothman. Mothman. You need no prompting. My personal favorite. And by the way, as if, uh, you know, nerds everywhere will, uh, are to be believed, the Flatwoods Monster and the Mothman are dating. 
They like to show that. <laughs> it's not a rumor. It's fact. I, is it fact? Okay. I read it. It's somewhere. National right. Enquirer somewhere. Yeah. These may be a little bit deeper cuts. Uh-huh. So known as the white thing, this is a woolly, harried cryptid that bears a remarkable resemblance to a horned sheep. Is it A, ram man, B, woolly woo, or C, sheep squatch? Sheep squatch. It is a oh, sheep squatch. Without hesitation. Awesome. All right. In 1960, West Virginians reported that hairy, human-like creatures were taking bites out of their produce around the town of Marlington. What did they choose to call them? A, apple devils. B, Virginia creepers. Or C, I used the same joke twice. Uh, <laughs> Let me guess, this is the president? Or the Kardashians. Mr. President again. <laughs> <laughs> president Kardashian. Is it A, apple devils? Never know. B, Virginia creepers. Or C, produce phantoms. Did you say Marlington or Marlington? Marling- Marlington. Marlington. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it's the Virginia Creepers. It is actually A, Apple Devils. Wait, wait, wait. It's Apple Devils. <laughs> yes. You got me. I, I knew it. You're right. I, I thought it. it was Virginia Creepers mm-hmm. myself. Can I ask a question? Yes. What is it about your your original home state of West Virginia that makes it a, a, a alleged haven for mm-hmm. mythical, possibly it's real wild cre- and creatures? Uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's a, actually a seven-part series. Right, right. Uh, the right. Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. We have Gypsy Wives of West Virginia. <laughs> we have Buck Wild. We have Jennifer Gardner. I mean, just to name a few things. But like, let's let's <laughs> let's focus on the quiz here, man. You're right. The quiz. I have to say though, Tim, I think you're onto something though. It's the wildness and wonderfulness Wild, of it. Wonderful West Virginia. Open for business. And, and open tag, for business. Once the tagline was open for business. Open for business. <laughs> open for business. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, jeez. FEMA now gone. Right. Yeah. All right. Now, all right. Last question. These mysterious, possibly governmental, and possibly alien agents questioned and threatened Point Pleasant residents in the wake of uh, Mothman and UFO sightings in the 60s. Was it A, the black eyed kids, B, the men in black, or C, the IRS? So it is the IRS, but I will say <laughs> that in addition to the IRS, I think it was A. It was actually B, it was, the men in no, black. No, I'm sorry. I, I, you misheard me. I said B. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, B. I have a trick ear. No, I understand. I, I, I have a West problem. Virginia accent. It's fine. These are deep cuts. They are deep the, cuts. I don't know. The men in black. So that was a very, the Mothman sightings. There were the Mothman and the UFOs. And then all of a sudden, these weird guys in black. And the whole, the whole men in black mythos kicked off right there in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mountain wow. Mama. 1967. John, Don, John Denver didn't speak to any of this. No. no. That wasn't included in Wild Well, Wonder, if you yeah. play the songs backwards, yeah. he absolutely That's does. where it is. That's it's your, in, okay. it's, that's your right. mistake right, right there. It's all right. in the undernotes. So, okay. Country roads. <laughs> all right. Beam me home, Scotty. We have, uh, now that we've taxed your brain and you've mm-hmm. gotten it back up to, to working uh, capacity, or at least hours. Did I? Did I, I get it back up did, to working capacity? Did I really? I mean, yes, the, the tape will show that I answered every question correctly. I, I mean, I would say that, that batting a thousand is pretty good, Joni. Oh. Okay. All right. Proceed. Well, let's keep going. We'll we'll now veer on back onto the the main highway of of real, actual, meaningful questions about our friend Joni Deutsch. And we will start with this one. So um, you have a love affair with West Virginia. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe we can talk to, about that. But where did your love affair with West Virginia music begin? Did your parents love music? Did it come from something, some other source for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so 
my love of just general music did count, did come from my parents. Um, I remember my mom would have, she still does, a, a ton of vinyl, a ton of records, cassette tapes that she would play uh, when we were in the car driving around. I'd always be in the front seat of the car, shout it to all the uh, only child children out there, they were able to sit in the front seat of the car. They didn't fight their brothers and sisters <laughs> for that. Um, but I would sit in the car with my parents, and we just listened through all kinds of music from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in the 90s, so of course we'd have to listen to the in-syncs of the world, which is wonderful. When it comes to West Virginia music, though, um, you know, I started wanting to learn more about the state that I, I, I was born and raised in when I was in college. And... I, uh, I just realized that there's a lot of talent from the state that goes uh, unheard. You know, that, that's not really mentioned that they're from West Virginia. Bill Withers being one of them. Yeah. Um, and being able to explore that, learn the history of the state through the music was just so beautiful. And so when I um, started working at the NPR station in West Virginia a few years back, you know, one of my things was to, to really work on highlighting West Virginia musicians, statewide musicians of different mm-hmm. genres, because... At the end of the day, the state is more than the perception of banjos from Deliverance, right? Uh, or uh, you know Brad Paisley. As much as Brad Paisley and banjos are, are both great <laughs> in their own ways, uh, West Virginia music is interesting. It's eclectic. It's eccentric. It's it's um, talented and lovely to hear. Wow, that's that's awesome, and I love how you're you've kind of taken that passion and you've brought it now, and you're applying it here in Charlotte. I'm sure we'll get into that, you know, shortly too. But uh, so one of the things that you spoke about. And and by the way, if, if you weren't able to be with us this morning, the a video of the entire talk is available up at uh, at the Creative Mornings website and that will be in the in the notes. Shout outs to our sponsors, Crescent Communities, um, Ortho Carolina, and Four Eyes Productions. Castles with words and mm-hmm. ideas. Um, and then it's, you know, obviously you, you address the irony that you ended up on air. Um, and but in your private moments when you're growing up, I want to know did you make fake radio broadcasts? Did you did you have the the tape recorder out or the or the computer fired up and and made your own little little bro- broadcasts? Uh, I didn't do that, but I will say what I, I I did was I would go to like a small space, like a bathroom or a closet, and I would pretend to be a voice, like one of the voices, like jo- the Johnny Carsons, you know, the late night host. I would try to replicate what they said, like the same kind of sentences, the same kind of emotion and tone. Yeah. Uh, and then also I would pretend that I was like talking to imaginary characters, like creating stories around them. I was a nerd. I am a nerd, not was, am still. Love it. But I didn't do any tape recordings. Um, but I, I will say too, with music, I was always, I was always singing in my head. I was always singing to the radio. Um, I still do, you know, on long trips, like I will go through an entire playlist or a CD to the point where the fiance is saying, Joni, can, can we do something else for a bit? Can we like, it doesn't have to be karaoke for like a full hour. You can like take a break. We can listen to a podcast. We can do anything else. And I'm like, no, this is where I like, I feel like myself. I can't sing. I cannot sing. I am not a singer, but I love being able to express myself through music, through sound and, and, and hosting. And it's, I, I didn't know it was a profession until I was in college. It's, it's funny that, that you should say that. Cause we, um, Matt and I just had coffee a couple of weeks ago with um, the uh, the woman that helped found the jam uh, in Charlotte, and she was talking to us about what she says to people is, you know, when you are singing in the car, when you're by yourself on a trip in in traffic, and you are just belting it out and not caring about whether you're hitting the notes, 
It's just a complete exuberant experience. That's you. And that if we and that the secret to life is figuring out how to be that person, the singing in the car person every day of your mm-hmm. life. And I'm totally with you on that. I, I do think though, Matt and I, in the same way that you kind of did your own version of the Johnny Carson show. Um, I think we have that in common with you because both you and I have both talked. You did fake radio broadcasts. I did you? tons of them. I didn't. I was always Wolfman Jack. I don't know why. Everybody's Wolfman Jack. I mean, I don't even know if that's a good Wolfman Jack impression. It's, it's probably bad. It's not the but, worst I've heard. But uh, that was I was <laughs> Wolfman Jack, and I would introduce. You know, we built the city on rock and roll by Starship, Aww. and then we'd actually have another radio next to it with a tape in it, and I would then play the full song, Aww. so I could then talk as the song was. Ramping up like and a then real shock job. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, and I did it, but and we I, sent it to my friends too. I sent it to my friends. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't fantasize being like a, like a DJ, as much as I wanted to do old radio serials. Right. So oh. I would, I would get it out and like get like out the, the Martians are landing. Yeah, like my dad Orson gave Wells. me. My dad <laughs> gave me a, t- a cassette tape of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, like when I was pretty young, and I. Just thought it was the most amazing thing. My, I, luckily, like in the way that you were exposed to music, uh, I watched a lot of black and white movies oh, and old too. TV shows. Me too. And um, I loved silent comedy, you know, and and there was stuff that my parents, especially my dad, would put mm-hmm. in front of me. And so that's what I aspired to do. And I would get on that, hit play, uh, record on the on the cassette and do different voices. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'd get the synthesizer out and try to like improvise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, interstitial music and stuff like that, and I just—it's all part of that desire to to take people on an audio journey, right? Mm-hmm. That desire to weave worlds and tell stories, and and in listening to your speech, that really spoke to me. So. You know, that's something you guys do at WFAE so well. Is is you and NPR as a even larger organization is that you you really do take listeners on those journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like because from where we're sitting, it, it seems like public radio is experiencing sort of a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in Charlotte, and uh, certainly aided is. by podcasts, and, and definitely aided by podcasts. Exactly. So, why do you think? Do you agree with that? And 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 why do you think public radio and and this these pot this podcast culture is so important? I think that um, public radio has an interesting role in history. Um, we just came out of the 50th celebration of the Public Broadcasting Act, which was signed into Congress a, a little more than 50 years ago, allowing for the creation, the funding of uh, PBS, NPR, public media in general. And, um, you know, over time, what we've seen is that as, as other media, major media companies have come out, the commercial media outlets, uh, commercial radio or television or print magazines, sometimes it feels like it's not speaking as it is talking at you mm-hmm. you know it's not a conversation per se the audience is reading it the audience is listening the audience uh is watching but it's it's it can be a one-sided conversation yeah and i think what public radio is prided uh is, is proud of in its creation and, and its work is that it is creating stories it's allowing the audience to be a part of it to the point where you know, now people are being inspired by Ira Glass or by Terry Gross or by Guy Raz or whomever else in public mm-hmm. media to create their own work so that they can be a part of the conversation even further. And I mean, to your point, yeah, I think there is a new public radio renaissance um, in the last, I'd say, decade or so. Podcasting has really helped that by making it accessible to people that right. maybe are in areas of, you know, I'm from West Virginia, very mountainous. For a radio signal to be able to uh, go across the entire state with all the mountains, it's difficult. Mm. 
a podcast is something where you can, so long as you have Wi-Fi or a connection, you're able to get it anywhere in the world. And I think podcasting through public media, that rich storytelling history, has really allowed the audience to say, yeah, this is a conversation I want to be a part of, that I want to contribute to, that I want to make for myself. I'm inspired by it. You know, it's, I, I love to hear you describe it in that way. And I do, I'm starting to see sort of support surge. At least it seems that way from, from this end. Maybe there's a different story happening inside, but do you see millennials supporting public radio? Do you see Gen Z starting to step up and support public radio? I can tell you here at, at Creative Mornings this morning, Jeff Bundy, your colleague at the station, told me that uh, a bunch of people became members today at this event. Mm -hmm. So that seems to indicate a surge in support. But what, what's your perspective on it? I think um, public radio at the heart of it is just it's, it's humanity. Mm -hmm. It's connection. Um, it's a brand that is personable. You know, it's it's the kind of brand, unlike other media companies, you're, you're probably not going to see a CNN bumper sticker on a car or someone wearing a CNN T-shirt. Just not <laughs> to call it, not to call out CNN or any, but just think of it as like just general media, major media mm -hmm. outlets. Very rarely do you see someone a great point, yeah. sporting a public radio or like a CNN sweatshirt. And I think the opposites with public radio. You see people wearing public radio nerd sweatshirts like me. You see them with public radio uh, stickers on their laptops. And I think events like Creative Mornings or anything else, it allows for public radio to come in to say, hey, we know that you are a creative audience. You we respect having conversations, whether they're like or not, you are there for the ride. And to your uh, question about just millennial engagement, part of what I did in West Virginia was that line of work, was to encourage individuals who were not baby boomers to become donors, to become members and sustainers of stations. Um, we're in an age now where you can't just expect someone under the age of 30 to come to you with a check for $1,000. We are past right. that donor stage. And so to build affinity towards public radio, nonprofit media, events like this really do help. So yeah, I think that there has been in the last few years that surge of support from individuals. Podcasting helps with that. Mm. You go to wherever they are. In a digital age, it needs to be online, but also in an age where you need to feel a connection to someone, it needs to be in person at events like Creative Mornings. Great, yeah. I think, you know, public radio has been a part of my life since I was a kid because I had uh, I grew up in a in a family like where driver picks the music, shotgun shuts his mouth was the rule in the car. And so my dad would drive me to, to school in the mornings, even through high school, like the beginning of high school. And FAE was always on the radio. So this has been a part of my life growing up. And what strikes me as to why it's so important, you're right. It's people are striving for that connection. There's a deep desire in this world where we should be more connected than ever um, to, to hear authentic connection. And one thing I love about public radio is it's got the macro and the micro perspective. You know, it's not like the big news or the big broadcast news where it's so focused only on national or concepts. breaking news. Yeah. Or breaking mm -hmm. news. And it's, or, and then it's not only hyper local focused. So I can get a sense of what's going on in the world and my country and my city all in one go and then spend time with that story. It's not it's not about you know glib wording or about gotcha headlines. It's about the people and the story and hearing, you know, hearing somebody if you if, if you're hearing a story about someone in Africa, there you can't they can't be a statistic when you hear their voice. Even if it's being translated and you don't understand what they're saying, that emotion comes through in a way that I don't even think video does because I'm focusing on 
the sounds yeah. and the emotions that are carried over those sounds. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's also that sense of community to your point. Um, one of the, the greatest examples I have about the power of public media is um, the year, the time that um, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. That around that, uh, that week, James Brown was supposed to put on a legendary co concert in Boston. And he actually was planning on canceling it. He was so in grief. The city was rioting. You know, everyone was just up in arms about what happened with MLK. And the public media station, WGBH in Boston, which is huge mm. still, they create a lot of great podcasts and TV shows and whatnot. WGBH stepped up and they said, look, James Brown is going to do the concert. We're going to broadcast it to the entire community so that they can stay home. They can watch the concert. Even if they didn't buy a ticket, they're still going to be able to be consoled by the music that James Brown is going mm -hmm. to make with his soul music. And it's just one of those examples where public media steps in and says, look, we are wanting to bring the community together. No matter what they're thinking, no matter what they're feeling, they can still feel some level of connection to one another, even if they're not physically in the same space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, I absolutely love that. Well, moving on to, to the work, some of the work you've done in Charlotte, uh, specifically Amplifier, um, which you've, you just celebrated just over a year of, of doing the podcast. Um, when you started it, were you concerned that you'd run out of material at some point? When we were looking into doing it, and it was a continuation of sorts of the work I did in West Virginia, just instead of with the West Virginia music scene, it was, it was just Charlotte, it was one city. Um, when I was, we're thinking about it, you know, I, I was curious. I, I didn't know if we were going to receive uh, 70 submissions, 70 different musicians submitting their work to the series, or if we would receive 100, 120 but over the course of a month of just doing call-outs on air, on radio, online, through social media, I just started to see the amount of talent that was waiting for the opportunity to say, hey, we're here. Hey, we want someone to support us. Um, to date, since we launched the series in September 2018, we've received, I think, more than 600, around 700 individuals submitting their work, ranging from R&B to soul, pop to folk, um, Latinx. I mean, if you name a genre or a kind of instrument that, that's represented in the list. And I know there's more. Um, but I think it's just a testament that, yes, the, the perception of Charlotte is that there isn't anything here. But if you allow individuals the opportunity to empower them to be able to say, yes, I am here and I have a story and I have a beautiful song, then you're able to create that platform and build off of that with even more stories and conversations. And it's it's been great. I think one of the things, back to your point there, that why you were, were, the, were, were the right person to tell this story is I think sometimes we need folks who are looking at Charlotte with new eyes. Like Matt and I say often, the worst salespeople for Charlotte are people that have lived here. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, we bought into this narrative that has been rep repeated incessantly that there's nothing here. It's a bank town. And it becomes the reality for so many people. You come in and say that can't possibly be true, and you prove that it's not. And that's why that out that that fresh perspective is so important and what you're doing is necessary right now to change really old, unfounded opinions. And maybe part of it is that I'm a surprise, I'm young, and I also have a lot of optimism. And it could be that I just taken a different approach where because I haven't been in this community for longer than two years, I'm thinking, yeah, let's do it all. Let's highlight everything. Let's let's you know try to amplify all the different artists and songs because why not? You know, what's what's the worst that can happen? Let's like just put ideas on a wall. Let's slap them up there and see what sticks. And um, I mean, really, the heart of what the series was was me as a music fan moving to Charlotte and saying, hey, 
people that I see in the community, people I work with. What do you know about the Charlotte music scene? What can you tell me? Who should I listen to? And a lot of the responses I received were shrugs or people saying, I don't know. I don't care. And I just knew like, I don't even know the music scene and I care. I want to find out about it. Mm -hmm. Just personally, I'm curious. And I'm happy that others feel the same in some degree that they, whether they've lived here for a while or not, they're saying, I want to learn about music in Charlotte. I want to see, you know, how baby got started or everyone else in the hip hop community or other genres of music before they get big, before they go off and yeah. we don't see them in Charlotte anymore. Well, it's, it's been amazing to watch. Um, you lift up these, the, the, this incredibly uh, talented community of musicians. Um, and in fact, that seems to be the gap, right? The, 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 the talent is here, yeah. but the stories weren't being told. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I, I appreciate the support for the work that the station has done and Amplifier has done and, and highlighting the artists, but at the end of the day, it's the artists. Like yeah. They're the ones that put in the time and effort. They're the ones making the music. And for me just to be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to let you speak whatever you want into a microphone and I'll put it up and I'll put it on air. So you be you, you do what you need to do, but I'm here because I believe in your sound and I believe you have a story to share. We, we feel much this. I mean, th we've had the same experience with Creative Mornings, right? I mean, we've had the fair share of people come and say, look what you created. And we're like, we actually created nothing, you know, other than a space. We provided a welcoming space mm -hmm. and we work hard to put people up there, but they're the ones, you know, it's a whole never, nevertheless they persisted yep. situation <laughs> that despite what people around Charlotte may say, that creative community is bold and exciting and passionate and very, very present. And they just need people or places and vehicles like Amplifier to, to spread the word. And I'll say to public radio's credit, you know, there, there aren't that many sources of media out there that really care about music diversity, music discovery. I mean, it's not public radio isn't bet on commercial interest. You know, a record company can't come up to us and say, hey, here's a thousand million billion dollars played this one artist over and over and over again in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. So the ability to, to the freedom to be able to say we're going to do, you know, Brazilian guitar strings player and then we're going to do uh, a jazz cellist and we're going to do a pop star over here. Put it all under one umbrella of public radio. It's it's a it's a great thing. It's a rare thing. What do you think Charlotte's music scene needs right now to keep going? Is there, are there other things that you feel like the, this community needs or needs support around in order for it to, to really grow into everything it's, it has potential to be? So I think it depends on who you're asking. Um, if you're to, I know you're asking me in this moment, so I'll answer <laughs> my first. I know what you're I'm about to say, you. but I think um, I, at the end of the day, I'm not the spokesperson for music in Charlotte. Uh, and depending on who you ask, whether it's a musician, a venue owner, a promoter, a producer, they're all going to say something different. Mm -hmm. I think it's just they want respect from Charlotte. Mm. Yep. I think that they, you know, the money is a great thing, obviously a great thing. Anyone who puts work into craft, whether it's music or anything else, should be paid if they want to be paid. Yep. And if they want to do free, that's great. Let them decide that for themselves. But mm. I think it's just the respect of uh, different levels of Charlotte from the listener understanding the amount of time it takes to make a song so that if you see them in a brewery, don't think that they're just background music. Um, all the way up to the major heads of the city saying, you know, music is something we can invest our time and effort into. But they just want to be heard, and, and they deserve to be heard. I love that that answer. That, and that feels so spot-on correct to me, um, based on all the conversations we've had. So many of the musicians that you've featured, we've enjoyed um, hearing play on the Creative Mornings 
staged the Charlotte Star Room music stage at Creative Mornings, Charlotte. Um, and even and then to watch folks like Greg Cox and Emily Stage, uh, Sage go a, another level up, right? Where you you're able to give them some exposure on a national level. It's just been a real joy to watch that unfold. Well, Joni, as, one of the things I loved in your talk was you know you you shared the quote, "Music is the silence between the notes," and in your position, you get to look at Charlotte in lots of ways. It's not just the music community. You see the stories that come through FAE. You see the the um, you know, you work on podcasts that share all sorts of uh, perspectives. In your opinion, what silence should we all be listening for in Charlotte right now? And what is that silence telling us? This is like Tim's Terry Gross moment here. That was oh. a that was a good that was a good question. So, I, I felt like I needed to bring the thunder on the question. Oh, it. that's good. And what I was going to do is just let the audio be silent for a few seconds so we could literally oh. listen and to then, it and, and try to find meaning. Let me throw that to her again. <laughs> no, that then, was good. No, no. I ruined that. No, you didn't. No, no. That was um I'm I'm glad that it's you It's a big concept in your in your talk and it made me I spent a lot of time thinking about it after I read it. I'll just say that for me I think at this point in my career in my life the silence that I'm I'm trying to find meaning from is the silence of just simply putting time into myself. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, um, Charlotte is such a bustling city. So many individuals doing so many different things at all times of the day and night. And it feels like there is a, it's like a rat race of sorts. So you want to just keep on going and running on that treadmill because you want to keep up with everyone. And I think the meaning that I want from the silence is just the meaning of being able to to encourage some self-reflection and time to be able to refuel that I don't have to be running on all, you know, steams, all engines. And maybe that's something that we can look forward to in the silence of 2020 in some degree. But I'd say the silence of Charlotte, I mean, the big umbrella issues that everyone has been talking about, which are all very valid and important, equality and equity and making sure that individuals have resources as we look into all the different houses and uptown apartments and high rises that are being built and making sure that people have space and are able to make what they want of it. I don't know if that answered any of the question, but it's... Yeah. I think it did. I, I, I think one of the challenges that we see in Charlotte, and I know you do as well uh, in your work, is, is you're right. We all know some of the issues that need to be worked on. And um, Charlotte is this odd type A city where I think too many people rush in mm -hmm. and everyone's talking over one another. And um, in that scenario, oftentimes, I mean, we see it a lot around um, social capital and um, affordable housing and um, economic mobility. Everyone's talking about it. And I don't know that a clear voice has come out yet. Um, and, and then I, I don't think enough time is being spent on who's not speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's one thing I learned. Yep. And I don't always do well with it, but when I used to be in large meetings, Who's the person at the table that's not speaking? Because yep. likely that's the person who actually has something to say. Yeah. I actually, if I could just change my answer to what you just said, I think that's what I would do. Because I think that's such a valid point. It's, it's, it's so important to have the seat at the table and not just having a seat as a token individual uh, or community head, but also to be able to speak. And I think that's something in the silence that, um, you know, with so much noise going on, you feel like the room is just full of it. But when you look, it's just that the sound could be overpowering to the point where you're not noticing the silence elsewhere that needs to be worked into the conversation. That's beautiful. All right, I have, I have one last question. I know Matt's got a final question because I can't let you go without asking you about 
if I know anything about you, it's that you have a lifelong love of dogs. I do. And, I love dogs. And I want you to tell us about Yuri, your oh, your sheepdog. Yeah. Tell me, I know. First off, is he doing okay now that you're engaged? Is Yuri all right with that? So my fiance, we recently engaged uh, October of the 2019. Congratulations. And thank you. And uh, let me rephrase that. I don't even know the date I was engaged because I was in... Germany. It was uh, September, September 2018, and it was, it was during uh, Oktoberfest. Yeah. So it really it was it was in Munich. So yes, it was. Um, I was like in my Drindle that night after being engaged. Uh, check out a Drindle; it's really fun to wear. Uh, but the um, Yuri, my sheepdog. So Yuri is a Polish Lowland sheepdog. He is seven and a half years old. Um, uh, he likes wearing yarmulkes because uh, he's a good Jewish boy. And uh, he, I think David, my fiance, did approach not just my dad, uh, but also my my sheepdog for permission to, uh, to, to be engaged <laughs> with me. And I appreciate that. Um, but Yuri's been fine. Uh, I think he recognizes that uh, David is going to be my uh, human partner in life. Yuri is always going to be my dog partner. Sure. It's just two separate roles. Well, I... Love this image in my head of David saying to Yuri, "Can we go for a walk around the block?" Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I, I hope your I hope your tail is still wagging once you've heard what I have right. to say, Yuri. Right. I'm gonna need you to. So listen, I'm gonna need you to sit down. No, actually, sit. I'm, that's a command. Sit. Before we go, we are gonna end with our the, the question we always end with with our with our speakers and our pack podcast guests, which uh, is the following: Joni, what advice do you have for Charlotte creatives? There is a lot of room to create. Um, if you feel like that there's a hurdle in your way, just know there's probably ten ways to overcome that hurdle, or go underneath the hurdle, or swing pie the hurdle in uh, in some uh, unique fashion, but I'll just say that uh, creativity also comes with connections and community. Um, it's wonderful to build something on your own, but if you're able to connect to someone to be able to help fill the gaps and to help you become a well-rounded individual, professional, creative, all the better. And there's so many of those individuals in Charlotte just waiting to be connected with that you owe it to yourself to get out there, whether it's at an event like Creative Mornings or anything else meet new people, talk with them about your interests, see if there's room for synergy or whatever buzzworthy term you want to use the time you listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but really just get yourself out there and just know that maybe the first time you do something, it may not be the best in the world, but you did it and you can move on. You can build on top of it and create exactly what you're hoping for. I love the way that everything you're describing is sort of hinged on this idea of connection and, and real authentic connection. You know, getting out there, meeting your fellow creatives, um, sharing your story, inviting opportunities for collaboration. And um, you kind of modeled that for us today, this idea of authentic connection. You got up on stage at Creative Morning Charlotte, our 50th ever speaker, and you opened up and you connected with the audience in a really authentic way. So you're really modeling that way of being um, in the creative community for us. So th for that and for everything you're doing in your fresh two years in Charlotte. I'm like a you've baby. only just begun. So thank you for all of it. And uh, I think we need to awesome. get to the point where we no longer reference how long Joni's been here because I, it's hard to remember when she wasn't. So. <laughs> Good point. Aww. No. We're so we're yeah. post it's, it's we're post Joni. 
Oh. No, yes, not post. That's We're weird. never going to move no, on. No, take that back. <laughs> yeah, that's gone. So uh, I have one last thing I want to oh, say yes, before please. we wrap up. Um, you know, you spoke today about the power of, of podcasting mm-hmm. and of telling stories. And, you know, uh, Andy Go, I want to thank you. When Matt and I came, you know, to you a few years ago saying the conversations are not long enough, we need help um, putting together a podcast, you know, he neither, Matt nor I, even at the time, we, we didn't listen to many podcasts. We didn't know what we were doing. It's arguable whether we know what we're doing now. But you have been there crafting this and, and, and making it a special experience. And thank you. I appreciate you saying that, Tim. It's been uh, one of the biggest honors of my professional career, especially as I'm working for myself in my own business, uh, to have you guys as clients, partners, and most importantly, as friends. It's, it's been an experience that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Thank you, man. We're in the middle of a big old love fest here, and I, I love, I love love. I love love. <laughs> so with that, um, you're going to love Joni's talk from this morning, so definitely go check it out. Go to the Charlotte, uh, the Creative Mornings Charlotte uh, homepage, click on Talks, and you'll find her talk on the theme of silence there. So watch it alongside this yep. uh, podcast, and um, we'll chat with you next time you tune in. Thanks, Joni. Thanks, guys and gals and people. And dogs. And dogs. And And dogs. dogs. (laughs) Most importantly. (laughs) Ciao. Joni's not the only person we talked to that Creative Mornings. We also asked a couple of our guests what some of their favorite memories from Creative Mornings were. I would have to say that the first time that I took my mom to a Creative Mornings, um, she is born and raised in Charlotte and had no idea that Creative Mornings even existed and likes to think that she's very in the know so I got to blow her mind a little bit we went to see it was let me see Stephanie Cooper Luter speak and she was at I want to say lockup projects and it was a great morning and I will never forget it because neither will my mom my favorite memory would be just reconnecting with people that I haven't seen in a long time uh, making new connections with people I didn't know before and uh, all the new experiences that I've had listening to people's stories uh, that they share every morning. Uh, I think, you know, the favorite memory I have is coming every time and meeting new people. I keep just expanding a collection of new people I meet every time. So it's a wonderful place to connect and have fun. Um, I've only come two times, but what I find really inspiring about this group is the energy and also the access and knowledge of other things um, and other people in the community and things that are going on that I would never in a million years know about. That's my favorite thing. Oh, I really loved the John Tosco um, when he was the guest speaker because just seeing everyone standing up and having a Friday morning sing-along together, like you can't find a better way to start your weekend than that. I was at the very first one, so probably the first creative morning. So I walked in, hadn't had coffee, the DJ was going hard and everyone was dancing and I was like, what is this loud, wonderful, magical place? Favorite memory of creative mornings. Actually, it would be my very, very first one. I can't remember who was speaking, but I just remember the vibes and I left so inspired. And I was like, I can literally do anything. And since that creative mornings, I've done everything I've written on paper. It's it, really, you get into this room with all these people, how could you not? So, oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks again to Joni Deutsch for speaking with us and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Biscuit Podcast. 
That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit CLT Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourselves. Call or text us at 704-835-0193. That's 704-835-0193. And leave us a 30-second message with your questions about creativity in the Queen City. We'll use the best messages on a future episode of the Biscuit CLT Podcast. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings.